Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, here is Danielle with a new episode of our e-commerce show. And today I'm here with uh, Krish and he's the founder of Duamore. And if you look up their website, um, it's the most sustainable jewelry brand. And I think that's very important nowadays because I think there was a movie a few years ago, Bloody Diamond or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, Krish will tell us. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and it really showed the big out you know everyone that this industry is uh you know the sourcing is interesting of the product and uh it seems to me that uh, his brand do more it stands for something else sustainability and just yeah quick quick story before um so we both worked in the oil industry krish worked in the oil industry more than i did but i think that's another industry where sustainability is a big question so yeah, we have some, you know, some overlap in our stories, I think. So it will be an interesting episode today. Um, yeah, so I'm happy to have you here, Krish. How are you? Yeah, thanks so much, Daniel. Yeah, excited to be here. Um, really excited to talk about our, our similar backgrounds and how different um, life is now from what we were doing a few years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us more about your past. You were an engineer in the oil industry in Texas or? Yeah, so after graduating um, from college as an engineer, I joined an oil and gas company here in Houston. And I think on the second day, I was transferred to the middle of nowhere, Louisiana, to drill oil and gas wells. And very quickly, um, you learn just how hard it is to drill for oil. You know, you would drill for weeks and weeks and weeks to get to the oil, um, but you would hit water within minutes. And not coming from a oil background, like this was new to me. And then after, you know, you go to the next well. And again, within a few minutes you hit water, but then you drill for weeks and weeks and a few months to get to the oil. And this kind of bothered me because I had seen the water crisis when I was younger traveling. I had seen people not have access to water, um, people and children um, that had died from not having water when the water was literally just beneath their feet, like 70, 60 70 yards beneath their feet and they just didn't know how to get to it. So this just really bothered me. And I thought, you know, I should do something about this. So, um, so that's my background of, um, my, my first, you know, experience in oil. And once I decided I wanted to do something about this and, you know, instead of drilling for oil and spending months to get it, getting people water, um, instead I was just set on that. And, at first, I wanted to create my own nonprofit and buy a drilling rig and go drill wells for all these communities around the world that don't have water. But quickly, I learned there's already so many organizations that do that exact thing that I'm not helping anyone. I was just reinventing the wheel. I'm not actually helping anyone. So instead, I thought, what if I could partner with one of these existing organizations by selling something expensive and by selling something with good profit margins so that every sale can make a massive difference Um, I didn't want to just sell like, you know, a bottle of water and donate five cents. I wanted to see 
how can I change an entire life with one single product sale? So engage rings were like perfect. They're expensive. Everyone buys them. They have good profit margins. Um, they were the perfect product. And on top of that, engage rings come with these questions of ethics, which for a product that you use to symbolize your love to someone, it doesn't make sense that in the back end, it's actually damaging and hurting people's lives. So I thought, what if we could make rings that don't just not hurt the world, but actually help the world? And that's what we do now with Delamore. We make ethical engage rings and every ring brings a person access to water in a developing country. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so how, how is it different than a big company's uh, jewelry? Yeah. How does it help people? Yeah, for sure. So first of all, um, our the, uh, the, the most... The, the most clear way of how it helps people is it is bringing someone water, right? So each ring like literally change a person's life forever. It's, it's literally going to change a person's life. And it really means a lot to us that we have this real one-to-one -one connection. So we track everything so closely. So if we're, if we're drilling a well in Ethiopia, that's going to give 77 people water. We're going to make sure 77 rings fund that well. If we're drilling a water project in Uganda, that's giving 46 people water, 46 rings will go to that. Or if there's 146 people water, 146. So we're tracking every single population at the well, and we're making sure that many ring purchases are going there so that every single person is responsible for changing one person's life. And then the other side of it is just the ethics. So um, we have the most sustainable supply chain in the world. So first of all, a lot of people think about the diamonds first, including myself, but a lot of us forget about the gold, um, the actual gold in the ring. Yeah, yeah. Mining for mining for a single ring worth of gold, like the gold for my wedding ring that I'm wearing right here. Um, if you newly mine for gold, it, it results in about 20 tons of waste. So one ring, to get gold for one ring, it takes 20 tons of waste to produce that. So the first thing we did was we used recycled gold. We don't use any new gold. Everything we do is recycled. There's enough gold in the world that's being recycled from old jewelry, old electronics, you know, all of our phones, right? They all have gold in them. So we recycle old gold and that's how our rings are made. Secondly is the stone. So um, if someone wants a stone, we educate them on lab created stones. Lab created stones are some of the most sustainable stones in the world. Um, and they're the exact same thing as a natural diamond. Lab diamonds and natural diamonds are the exact same thing. Physically, chemically, structurally, they're the exact same. The only difference is the origin. So we educate people on lab-created diamonds. And if they still don't want one, then we only source natural diamonds from two places, Canada and the Botswana DTC. Those are the two success stories in the diamond industry. The diamond industry is actually helping those countries. Um, Botswana you know, almost half of their GDP comes from diamond mining. So it's very important to their country. They do it the right way. So if someone still wants a natural stone, we're going to uh, get it sustainably and um, from a good mine. And the last thing is like, which is like, um, when we were first did it, it was very new because no one else was doing it. But now you hear about carbon neutral and how many companies are going carbon neutral. But our shipping has always been carbon neutral from day one. Our packaging has no plastic. Our ring boxes are made from wood. Um, like we just, we think about everything. Like we really want this product when it goes onto your partner's hand, we want that ring to have symbolized true positivity in the world and not any negativity. So that's kind of what we do. Yeah, that's amazing. If I order a product 
from Europe, how is it carbon neutral, the delivery? Yeah, so first of all, like, the, of course, all the packaging itself to begin with is going to be from sustainable sources, all of that. Um, secondly, we track everything. So um, mm -hmm. all of our packages in the US, those ones are pretty easy. But when we do ship um, shipments internationally, which we do, um, I think about every five or six out of every hundred shipments are international. Um, it's just it just means we're having to buy a much bigger carbon credit um, for those shipments yeah. um, in, a, in a more meaningful way. And I still don't think this is like the most foolproof way to do it, but um, that's kind of what we have found is the most effective way to do it is reduce everything we can on the front end. And then in those few instances where you do have, you know, where you're not able to be, then purchasing carbon credits at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it seems to me that you need a lot of connections to build a business like this, right? And that's, that's probably one of your com competitive advantages that not just sustainable, but you could build this because of a great network. So the fulfillment process, then sourcing the, the stones, the diamond, the gold, and then, uh, yeah, like all aspects of the business. You, and then the, the wells that you, um, that you drill in Uganda yeah. and you mentioned these countries. So all of these things, you need those, those partners for all of these areas, right? Yeah. And I think, um, and I didn't have them. I didn't have any of them. So, um, yeah. even my, my family background is oil and gas um, as well. My, my dad was oil and gas. My mom's a science teacher. We, um, we don't have any family connections in the industry either. And I think when I started this, it was tough because it was like, you know, talking to these jewelry companies, trying to talk to, different gold refiners trying to get recycled gold. And I would just be like, okay, well, what's your company name? And I would tell them they never heard of it. And, you know, who's your dad? Who's your, and it's like, oh, like he's not in the industry. And they were just like, who is this, you know, 20 something year old asking us these questions about our supply chain and like, you know, why should we even entertain him? And it was tough. Like, but I think finally, like I found one person that believed in what I was doing, one person and that one supplier believed in what I was doing thought it was a great approach. And once I had that one connection, that created three more connections. And those three, those three created nine connections and those nine created 27, right? So that's yeah. kind of how it worked. It was, it was hard to get the first one, but then once we got it, it all opened up. And then, yeah, on the water project side, I think same thing. It was just like, um, you know, we wanted to partner with these amazing nonprofits. And it's funny because sometimes it's not easy to give away money. Like, you want to give your money to an amazing organization and there's a lot of red tape, like they can't accept it for X and this reason and this reason. And, and we were being very picky because we wanted to make sure that the water wells we built actually were being built and that they would be on like 10 years later, 20 years later, they were still going to be functioning because the worst thing you can do is give someone clean water, take away all their immunity from the bad water they've been drinking and then five years later, stop the clean water and they have to yeah. go back to the old ways. Like that's the worst thing you can do. So we wanted to make sure that didn't happen. So we finally got to partner with Charity Water, um, which is an amazing organization. And there's three main focuses here. One, um, when they drill the water project, they only use local partners. So they're not just putting their drilling rig on a ship, taking it over there, taking Americans with them to drill the wells. No, they're like using people in those countries to actually do the drilling and actually supply the parts to build a well. Um, so that way, if something goes bad, they can actually get that part easily. Secondly, they have flow sensors in these wells. So if a well stops producing for 24 hours, there's a SIM card in the well 
which will notify Charity Water. And Charity Water can then send someone to go check why hasn't the well produced water in 24 hours. If something's gone wrong, they can actually fix it. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing about this is um, the training. Like just because you have clean water, that's one part of it. But then there's so much training that goes into it. Health training, sanitation training, making sure people use it properly, making sure people um, you know, wash their hands. There's so much that goes to it. So that third part is that training. So Charity Water is an amazing organization that we partnered with. And we, we were really determined to partner with them because it was so important to us that this water projects we were building actually changed a life forever. And it didn't just change a life for three, four years and then go back. So that was really important to us. Yeah, it seems like you were very conscious about this from day one and you, yeah, have you got any surprises in the process? Because you seem to be someone who prepared up well up front to any kind of challenges and everything. Yeah, um, I think like for us, it was, um, it was like, it was just kind of amazing because the first ring that we made was for my then girlfriend, now wife, right? Like I was Thing, engagement rings were obviously on my mind because I was looking for one and I was just really bothered that every single store I would go to, you know, no one had answers to these questions about ethics, right? So um, knowing that my wife's ring was going to be the first one, I think like all of these questions were in my head, like, oh, well, what if I give someone water, but is it actually, how does it actually change your life? Like, I think a lot of times um, when things are done from like a marketing standpoint, it's easy to get to like get your first answer and be okay with it. Like, oh yeah, this is going to get someone water here. But then when it's done from like a passion perspective, which for me, it was more of a passion thing. I don't think the question stops there. You hear the answer, but then you have 10 more questions and then you hear those yeah, and you have yeah. 10 more questions. So I think um, that's how it worked for me. And both on the jewelry side and on the water side, um, we were able to partner with the people that were able to answer these questions. So on the water side, we were able to answer, we were able to partner with the organization that had answers to everything. And then same thing on the jewelry side. Like um, we wanted to make sure we were making engagement rings and jewelry pieces that were going to last a lifetime, right? That we're going to just be the most beautiful thing. And um, so same thing, like, you know, someone would talk about quality, but then we would have 10 more questions about it. So we only partnered with the ones that we knew could answer mm-hmm these series of questions um, so that people, you know, like for people that are getting engaged, this is usually the most expensive thing they've ever bought to that point in their life. Sometimes if people have bought a car, then it's the second most expensive thing that people have bought in their life. Um, Usually they haven't bought a house yet. Like it's this extremely expensive purchase. And we wanted to just make sure that um, when people purchase it, they can not only feel good about it, but they're still going to have that 50 years from now looking Mm -hmm. just as so that was important. Yeah. 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 Uh, so if anyone goes to your website, then uh, in, I, at least me, I found this in the footer that I can book a consultation. And not many jewelry companies have this uh, on, on in their online store. And I think yeah. that's very valuable. And if I book this, then who I will talk to and how does it really work? Yeah, yeah. So we're a small team. We're a team of six people. Um, and you'll talk to one of us six. Um, okay. So um, not one person, but somebody in the team. Yeah. It'll usually be, um, our head designer, um, on our team, um, Jane, and you'll usually talk to her. And, um, for some reason, if she's out, then you'll talk to me. And, um, I always like when people talk to her more because she knows more than I do. So it's better for the customer. Um, but I, um, I'm kind of like the backup person. Um, and, 
Yeah, I think the reason we had to do this was while e-commerce is growing like crazy, right? Like um, if I had to buy something, I obviously the first thing is you buy it online, don't really go to stores anymore. But engagement rings are still 80% of people buy them in stores still, right? It's not like other purchases were 80% of our online. So we wanted to really see how can we make people feel comfortable with us? How can we allow people to get that local store experience without having to go to a store. So this was the best solution we could find. Um, and it's great. Like we love talking to people. We can share our screen. We can show them different things. We can show them actual rings on camera. Um, so it works out really well, actually. And I think it's just a competitive advantage because larger e-commerce stores can't really do that easily because um, it's just too, it'll just be too many for them. So it yeah. is a competitive advantage for us to be able to do that and to get to know our customers. And even if customers don't do that, you know, they can text us, call us anything. And we, mm -hmm. we treat them like we would treat our own, you know, a best friend purchasing a ring, right? They can text us at any time and we'll respond. So it's just kind of making sure people feel that they can communicate with us. Um, you know, how bad it, an experience it is if you have to call customer service for anything, um, and dialing that, you know, number and going through all the menus and trying to get in contact with, like, that's the, the exact opposite with us. Like, it was yeah. really important for us to put the customer first and any interaction with us should show that. Yeah. And you talk to them, not just after the purchase, but before as well, which is yeah. a big, big thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah for sure. And, and it should, because it's, it's a hard purchase and we have so much yeah. experience. Um, a lot of times we can um help save like one of our goals too is like we don't want customers to overspend and a lot of times when the customers talk to us we actually can find things that they thought they were going to spend three thousand dollars but we can find something for two thousand one hundred dollars like we can go under yeah. budget. so it really allows us to like see what they need and uh fulfill their needs exactly what they want so yeah Hey Budai Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. So in e-commerce, attribution has been a big topic for a while. Yeah. And... Uh, I think in the in the case of high AOV stores like yours, where you sell, you know, a ring for three k or or two k, mm -hmm. so these uh, you know multiple thousands of dollars, then uh, the picture is even more complex than with a product for thirty forty bucks, where you know it's an impulse buy, they can see a Google ad, Facebook ad, and they just buy it on the website. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I yeah. I'm just curious. Um, how much data do you have on this? Like, you know, those people who buy a ring, let's say an engagement ring, then how many touch points they need and the, how clear the attribution is, how you really think about the attribution, like uh, you are very precise about this and, and yeah. what channels they went through or, or not really. So what's your approach there? Yeah, great question. Um, it's obviously, it's obviously been one of the biggest challenges the last few years and um I think we're probably in the second category. We don't really know still. Mm -hmm. um, we we try to think we know, we act like we know, and then we'll try something and it will totally fail or we'll do something that we know is not going to work and it'll work. So I don't think we completely know. Um, I think what we do know is that people that will purchase from Doe Amore, it's because 
they want their ring to do good in the world. So we have to do storytelling. So for us, platforms where we can storytell are important. So, you know, we can storytell on Facebook and Instagram. We can storytell in those areas, but it's really hard for us to storytell in a Google shopping ad or in a Google ad. Yeah. yeah. So for us, it's more so like, um, for us, like we really want to do the storytelling and that's where we excel. Um, so we generally look like, which platforms can we do the storytelling on? And that's where we do like our, up, our top of funnel stuff. And we really try to use like these, like Googles and things for like the bottom of funnel things. When people are just like, you know, they, they're, they're settled on their brand. They know what they want. They just have a few last questions. Then we'll use bottom of funnel to, to bring them on. Um, but transparently, like this is probably one area where we're still kind of weak. Um, this is one area where if someone were to come to us and say, what are like your you know, strong points and weak points. Our strong points will be our supply chain and our customer service and mm-hmm. our manufacturing. Like those are all our strong points. And I think our weak points are still the marketing funnel and not completely understanding what we're doing. That's probably still our weak point. Yeah, yeah, yeah I see. Yeah. Um, do you know what percentage of your buyers they buy directly from, you know, they, they see an ad and they decide, okay, I want to buy this and I just buy it. So, yeah. Um, it's about, it's about 50, 50, it's very close to 50, 50, slightly more than 50% will buy without ever contacting us. Okay. Um, It's probably like 52, 48, roughly. That's Um, pretty high. I I expected a lower number to be honest, like 20% or so. Yeah. I think, um, I think we do a lot of education through our ads and we do a lot of education through our website. So I think that helps. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing is, even when customers buy from us, we still contact them to ask questions yeah. or like oftentimes a customer will buy a diamond and we'll see that diamond was $2,200. And we're just like, wait a second, there was this other diamond that was $300 less. that's actually better and bigger and prettier and nicer. So we'll actually end up emailing them like, Hey, I think you missed this diamond, which is actually prettier. And mm-hmm. so like, even when customers do buy without ever contacting us in about nine out of 10 instances, we still contact them because, um, either we just have a few simple questions or we see a way for their ring to look even prettier. So, um, and most of them appreciate that. I would say 99%. There's probably 1% of customers where we reach out where I think they just thought it was like Amazon where they would never hear from us. And they're kind of like frustrated. Like I already bought, like, why are you telling me? But 99% of customers appreciate it. Um, so we're pretty like transparent about that. Also with this type of product, like you're, which it's expensive. Like you want to know when it's going to ship. So we're like, we're always like very transparent yeah. when it, Hey, it just came into quality control. It looks great. It's shipping out. So, but yeah, about 50, 50. Yeah. And I think you can eliminate buyer's remorse, you know, maybe some people yeah. uh, that that's a lower percentage of people, but maybe they buy it for, you know, very expensive item. And, and actually it turns out they don't, they don't like it for some reason. And you just follow up like, Hey, are you sure? Yeah. Something like this. Uh, yeah. No, I totally get it. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, and I think like at the end of the day, um, that's what's working for us. Like it's mm-hmm. worked for us because we have this really good customer service. And even if I told our customer team not to do that, they're going to do that because in the bottom of their hearts, they want to reach out to the customer because they know that there's something better out there or they know yeah. that, you know, they, they, they see the proposal date and they know like they can meet it. So they want to tell them, Hey, we're going to meet the date. Like, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just the way we hire. Like our entire team is hired based on people that will treat every customer like their best friend. So. Yeah, 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 that's 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 really awesome. Yeah. Um, 
What marketing channels do you work for you? And what are those that, you know, it, it just doesn't work in this category? Yeah, so for sure, Facebook and Instagram work the best because of storytelling. Google has not worked the best um, because we can't do the storytelling. Yeah. Um, there are certain e-commerce sites that are optimized for like just pure shopping and ours is not one of them. So mm-hmm. that's why I don't think Google converts as well. I really have thought that Pinterest was going to do really well for us, mm-hmm. but it hasn't. It hasn't worked that well for us as of yet. Um, so that, that's been interesting. And then YouTube works well, I think, again, because of the storytelling. Storytelling, yeah. 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 So I think for us, it's really been wherever we can tell our story nicely and beautifully. Um, and yeah, that's what's worked. We haven't tried, you know, the more modern channels. We haven't tried influencer marketing. We haven't tried um, affiliate marketing in any of these. Um, so those things we've never tried, but that's kind of what's worked for us so far. Also, we don't do discounts or coupon codes. We never have, um, we never will. We just strongly believe like, um, like with proposals, like it's, it's, it's a shame, like a lot of people have to wait till Black Friday to buy their engagement ring just to propose at that time because that's when the best deal is. Like we just feel like, you know what, we should allow- Can you see examples like that? People, they yeah. raise for Black Friday. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, our own customers do, and we'll tell them like, hey, we're not running a Black Friday sale because mm. um, we're just the same price year round. And they'll still wait till Black Friday to make sure and then buy on Black Friday when we don't. Um, for us, like what we found is in this industry, um, it's actually detrimental sometimes because around Black Friday, prices actually go up. Um, like there's so much demand at that time for diamonds and gold. Prices go up. So all of a sudden, like, a customer is probably spending more on Black Friday because to get their 10%, yeah. they're spending 12% more or something, right? So it's yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. it just doesn't make sense. So we just try to make sure that um, all year round, we never run promotions and this way customers can buy whenever and we're always going to be competitive. Like we're constantly checking pricing, making sure we're extremely competitive. And this way a customer doesn't have to go find a coupon code on Black Friday to buy. So um, that's... Just so I think what we genuinely believe is like part of being ethical is charging a fair price. And we're not being ethical if we're gouging the customer just because they're buying a diamond from Canada, because Canadian diamonds don't actually cost anymore. So we shouldn't charge a premium when they don't. So part of being ethical is charging a fair price. I think we take that to heart, but it does make marketing hard sometimes because I think sometimes customers, all they want is that coupon code. So they feel like they're getting a better deal even though they're not, and we don't really do that. So that's probably one thing that hurts us. Again, I think our marketing funnel is where we are weakest. And I think our storytelling and customer service and product is where we're best. Mm -hmm. And um, we're, we're improving now. Like, you know, like we've, we've made massive improvements, even through this iOS stuff, we've made massive improvements despite how challenging it's been just by uh, learning and educating ourselves. But um, yeah, that's kind of where we are. And uh we like are very aware of like what our weak point is and our weak point is is that marketing channels where we can't do storytelling don't work well for us yeah 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 it makes sense um i guess you can focus on what works and just double down on those yeah um, yeah i think youtube is amazing i also use it for my own business for storytelling it's really great and also it's which one did you say daniel so in uh, so YouTube, I really like YouTube, oh, yeah. and I use it for my own business as well. Very cool. 
um, sharing my story. And I think it's not saturated for e-commerce stores. Not many e-commerce stores, they do YouTube. So mm -hmm. that's yeah. something where, where you can stand out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you think about email or, or SMS marketing when it comes to storytelling and marketing? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's somewhere that ex we're probably extremely underutilizing right now, um, where there's a massive opportunity, um, especially especially email. Um, mm -hmm. I think SMS is extremely amazing and important. We've struggled with SMS a little bit because of the nature of the secrecy of this purchase. Um, we worry about SMS a little bit, but I think with any other industry, SMS is extremely amazing and key. But I think email for us is is very underutilized because email is where we can tell our story over time. And um, we can also educate consumers over time. So email is yeah. probably one area where we're lacking and probably one of the most... Uh, probably one of the most underutilized channels for us and for many brands, um, for many, many brands, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many of founders, including myself, like when you think about scale, you just immediately keep thinking about paid ads and ads and this, and like, it's very easy for us to forget this huge asset we have, which is our own email list. And I'm guilty of that. I do that all the time. Yeah. I mean, if you really build on storytelling, that it's probably the best platform yeah. To, you know, for storytelling, because, you know, social media, it's all about scrolling. So it's hard mm -hmm. to grab attention and, and keep the attention. But email, it's still, you know, they open the email, they start reading it, and there is nothing else in front of them. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, so you wanted to start a, a store with, with expensive items from day one. Mm-hmm and and high margins as you said and then you know invest that into back in the business but also into drilling wells and all of these you know purposes and i wonder if somebody told you this or you you knew this instinctively that a high aov store is better and the reason why i'm asking because now i'm thinking about doubling down with my agency to work with high AOV stores mm. because I just find it way better in multiple ways, like higher margins. I can see those businesses are just more mature many times than low AOV businesses. And you need, that's my experience, high AOV stores, they need just much higher quality marketing than somebody selling $20 items. I got you. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just, I just wonder how Yeah. did you come up with this? Um, <clears throat> I think I just knew that um, I think it was just like apparent, like so many companies were doing social impact at the time. And um, sometimes the impact was so minimal that it just, it kind of just felt like everything was a marketing ploy. And for me, this wasn't a marketing ploy. So that's why I was just like, I don't just want to donate like $10 with the sale. Like I want to make a massive difference. Like I want to change a life. And the only way to do that was to sell something very expensive because even by selling, you know, a, a, a $200 pair of jeans, like I wasn't going to have enough money to, to make this massive difference. I had to sell something in the thousands of dollars to, to do that. So I think mine kind of came from that desire where I didn't want the social impact to be just a token or um, a marketing ploy. I really wanted a couple to use their life-changing day to change a life forever. So it just had to be. So that's why. Um, yeah. I think... 
it was fortunate because I learned about the positives of AOV, higher AOV products later on. Um, sometimes I still think our high AOV is like for like amazing marketing data and stuff. It's, it's almost too high um, because it's still like, you know, our, our, our customer life cycle is probably 45 to 60 days. So when you do something new on marketing, you don't even know for 45 to 60 days if it's working or not. You can use other metrics and, yeah. you know, other top of funnel metrics to kind of see, but um, that bottom of funnel metric still takes a long time. So um, it is amazing, but then I can also see the, the, that there are some negatives to having that high OV product. Um, and, um, but it is nice because you're absolutely right. Like we can, we can be more, um, we can think of our brand a little bit more rather than just thinking of like our product or that, you know, that one sale. So that's the positive of it. And um, yeah, I think, I think it's interesting, but I also yeah. kind of am curious, like what's going to happen in five years because so many people are kind of moving to high AOV and it's just going to be like, what's going to happen to low AOV D to C? Like it might just cease to exist. Mm. It seems like. Um, Can you see a trend like that? That's, that's I a new thing for me. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard, I heard, I've seen a lot um, about people wanting, people moving to high OV products. Um, yeah. Not like you, not like an agency stuff, like actual like entrepreneurs I network with, like a lot of their second businesses are much higher AOV than their first. Hmm. And it's just, I'm just curious to know, like, I, I don't know if everyone just assumes like Amazon's taken over low AOV, so there's no point or, or what, but um, it is hard to like, I, I, I don't know many people starting like low AOV D2C companies anymore. They all seem like yeah, that's, it, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also that you said, you know, when somebody starts their second e-commerce business, it's much higher AOV. Yeah, I've seen uh, people generally go much higher. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't think I know a single person that went lower. So um, yeah, the same or higher. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I guess it was... with acquisition mm -hmm. costs the way they are, it's, it's it is hard to yeah lower. So. I'm pretty sure it's because of that. Yeah. And also, as I said, I think just higher AOV stores, they need better marketing. And by the time you become a better salesperson or marketer. So, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, the, these are my guesses. Um, yeah. Yeah. My last question to you. So yeah. what would be your number one advice to an e-commerce business owner? Let, let's say someone who is, um, you know, it's better to ask in this way. So what would you tell to yourself as an advice? one single advice uh, to yourself three years ago? I probably told myself like, just because I have a theory, when I'm fortunate enough to be in e-commerce, you can test that theory so easily. So you should test it instead of sticking to a theory for two years and realizing you're wrong. Um, what's so amazing about e-commerce is like literally you can test something in 48 hours and know. So just test it and know the answer instead of sticking to a theory for like two years. And um, I think most of the theories I've employed at Doe Mori have been right, but there have been a few that have been wrong and I stuck to them for way too long um, when I could have ran a simple test and had the answer in less than a week. So that's, that would kind of be my advice. Like um, take advantage of the fact that you're in e-commerce and you can get data fast. And if you don't know how to do that work with someone that can get you that data quickly. Um, I used to intern before I joined oil and gas, I was at an internship in, um, at, at Procter and Gamble and an amazing company working. Um, and 
what was so cool about that was um, at the beginning of our internship, we, you know, we designed a new product for them. And at the end of the internship, you know, 12 weeks later, the product was finished and we got to see it on the, you know, we would get to see in the shelves at a, you know, Walmart or Costco, we would get to see it there. And that was like a 12 week process. And that was extremely fast at the time. But now we're in the e-commerce world where that 12 weeks is like one week. And um, we have to take advantage of that, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can test a lot of things very fast, validate the ideas, right? For sure. And you you should because you can. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I didn't do this, but and I'm glad I didn't, I guess I got lucky. But if I was to start a company today, absolutely. Like before you go and do everything, put up a landing page and test it and see, see how it works. See if you get, you know, emails and sales. And if you do get those sales then you know, obviously um, I don't believe in being disingenuous and uh, like I would fulfill those orders as quickly as possible, but like you should do that before you go and put in $200,000 into a brand, like yeah. spend two, $3,000, test it and then do that yeah 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 i really agree with this yeah yeah and as an engineer um being so data backed and no i'm sure you as well like just having all this data um it can really make your decisions a lot easier so i would say get the data because in e-commerce it's easy and cheap to get the data yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) also don't get lost in data right that's the other side yeah yeah 100 percent um and I think I myself am someone that like leads with my heart. So I don't think I would, but maybe it's the opposite. If you are very data-driven, maybe it's the opposite. Don't don't test everything and go with your instinct sometimes. There's that fine yeah. balance, I guess. And yeah, yeah. for me, it's being someone art, that right? leads with the heart, um, yeah, sometimes yeah. the data is key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really an art to balance out. Like I, I can see people, uh, it's very rare that somebody have have the right balance, you know. Yeah. Um, either too much they just love data and they don't make the decision it's like a mm-hmm. paralysis yeah and uh, the other end of the spectrum where they just don't know how to use data so find find the balance yeah 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 totally <laughs> yeah so chris uh thanks a lot for uh, coming here today and sharing yeah. your story and thanks everyone who listened to this podcast And stay tuned. Every week we come out with two new episodes, e-commerce founders, marketers, agencies. And if you want to get your engagement ring or maybe something else in this jewelry store, then go to doamore.com. I will put the link into the description so everyone can find it. And also I will add another link, which is uh, from my company. So we collected our top 100 emails that we sent out for our uh, e-commerce clients and you can go there and just download this for uh, for free and you can use it for your own store so thanks again everyone and uh, have a great day thanks so much everyone thanks daniel